This is Transistor.fm. Hey everyone, welcome to Build Your SaaS. This is the behind the scenes story of building a web app in 2018. I'm John Buda, a software engineer. And I'm Justin Jackson, and I'm standing in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, Justin, I'm, what, are you, what are you doing in your closet? I'm recording from home, and as every experienced podcaster knows, the most soundproof room in your house is your closet filled with clothes. So <laughs> that's right. where I am. It's a, a trade, trade secret? <laughs> it's a trade secret. Um, and I was I was telling you offline that there's some big shows. Like one of my favorite shows is Sleep with Me, which is by uh, I think his name is Drew. Oh, what's his last name? Anyway, um, and he does all of his shows inside his closet. Huh, nice. Yeah, actually, he has a Patreon, and he just moved houses. And one <laughs> of the Patreon videos was him showing the new closet that he's going to be recording from. <laughs> Pretty cool. Anyways. <laughs> Follow along as we build Transistor.fm. That's the whole point of this show. Um, before we get going here, John, let's quickly do our shout-outs for our Patreon supporters. We have a brand new, brand new supporter, Mike Walker. Uh, I don't know much about Mike. Um, no. Do you know Mike personally? I don't know Mike, but well, geez. He, he seems like a good guy because he's supporting us on Patreon. Yes. Well, thanks so much, Mike. Uh, maybe you could reach out to us and let us know how you found out about the show. Uh, let's see. He does bees, breakbeats, code, and peanut butter. I like them already. That's a for, good mix. From I've... Vancouver, BC. Oh, nice. So another Canadian. Great to have you along. Uh, who else do we have here? Brad from Canada as well. Darby Frey, Kevin Markham, Adam Duvander, and David Junta. You got it. Oh, Perfect. Man, it's always 50-50 whether I'm going to get it. <laughs> I should I should spell that out for you. J-O-O-N-T-A. Yeah. In, just, in, our, in our notes. In our notes, and then I would always have it. <laughs> um, so yeah, this week is a little bit different. Uh, I just did a live stream with Tyler Tringus, who just announced this new uh, fund called Earnest Capital. And their slogan is basically they're trying to provide funding for bootstrappers. And I thought what we would do is we would play that interview for our listeners. And then maybe next week, John, you and I can come back and just say what we thought. And if we feel like, you know, something like that could work for us or it, just our kind of yeah our thoughts on it yeah that'd be great cool so I'm gonna play that interview right now as a as a founder you know often in the early stages your personal runway is the thing that is the the constraint on on whether or not you can get um, your product off the ground mostly what you need you know these days you don't need a ton of capital in terms of buying things right you know now we have all these things from aws heroku DigitalOcean, like all these different products that are very cheap at the beginning so you know what you mostly need is time and you know very few people myself included don't necessarily you know at the stage where they want to start this company and take these kinds of risks they don't have you know the capital saved up you know they don't necessarily have you know 
when I was when I was trying to raise money from from VCs, uh, I heard so many times like, um, why don't you just go raise two hundred fifty thousand dollars from friends and family? Mm-hmm. It's like, man, like <laughs> my friends and family do not have that kind of money. Like, very few of them have got you know positive net worth, much less the ability to write me a, a $50,000 check, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, as you know, I've been writing a lot about uh, the challenges of bootstrapping. And we're using uh, bootstrapping as uh, kind of a blanket term here to describe people who are building startups outside of traditional VC. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the word bootstrapping, I think, is extremely problematic in this discussion, right? Because um, to, to me, bootstrapping, you know, has sort of grown to expand this definition of this whole set of like values and priorities and goals and strategies that are, you know, very different from, let's say, the venture back startup world. Um, and I, I think that that can be sort of separated from this narrow definition of like, you know, bootstrapping means like no outside capital whatsoever. And, and I think you've done a great job of, of pointing out that like, you know, like a lot of people fund their startups with with different things. Right. And, and whether you get $150,000 in savings from a side hustle, from in-kind contribution from your partner, from a rich uncle or for a professional investor, Right. It, it doesn't really matter that much. Like you're usually funding it somehow, you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, the what surprised me is and so just as, as a background, uh, I'm building Transistor.fm with my friend John Buddha. Uh, we formed our partnership in January. And since then, we've gone on to I think we've got I don't know in the hundreds of customers now. But I've realized, man, this is a lot harder than, uh, for example, doing an online course, which is something I've bootstrapped before. And I thought that my experience bootstrapping an online course would help me now. I thought Mm -hmm. that my experience working for bootstrapped startups would help me now. And it is just a whole different game. when you're when you're doing it yourself, and uh, I think part of what's coming out in these blog posts is just the like having my eyes opened to wow this is tricky, and what what you know there's all sorts of nuance to maybe all of the stories that we heard before all of the the founders that have gone before us and. You know, if we just look at John and I's situation, it's already different than a lot of people. We're both almost in our 40s. Uh, I've got kids. We both have mortgages. You know, there's all this stuff. And, uh, you know, the, the advice from someone who bootstrapped a startup while they were 20 and living with their parents is a lot different than, than my experience. And so... I thought maybe we could start off and say, you know, um, how would Ernest help someone like John and I with Transistor? What what would that look like? Hmm. Uh, I mean, I think that the the pain point that you're describing is a, a large part of of our sort of investment thesis, right? Which is that. Um, yeah, like the bootstrapper strategies um, 
oftentimes are constrained to a very narrow subset of people, right? Like, you know, yeah, you can go, you can, you can, you know, get on a plane and fly yourself to Southeast Asia and live for, you know, $250 a month and, and bootstrap a business if you are at a certain kind of point in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think um, there's a lot of people who sort of advocate for that as a good pathway. I think it's great. Um, but it's a bit, I think, narrow, sort of um, myopic to think that, you know, well, everyone should just do that, right? Because actually, there's a lot of people like like you guys that are in um, very different sort of life situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, so that alone, if you just look at, at Ernest as a, um, you know, just providing um, capital, um, that is sort of the point of it, right? It's, it's if you're at an early stage, you have a business that um, you can sort of see the, the sort of pathway um, to, to it being a, a sort of, let's say, profitable, sustainable, um, long-term business. Uh, but you're right in those early stages of the kind of, you know, this, the, what do they call it? The long, slow SaaS ramp of death. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you just kind of need um, capital to, to be able to, to sort of compress what might be 18, 24 months of nights and weekends or having to balance priorities with a bunch of different other things that are, um, you know, generating more short-term income, um, with, you know, six to nine months of full-time work, if you had kind of capital for, for founder runway. Um, and, and so generally the way we think about investments is, um, like plus or minus a year of founders runway, uh, plus a sort of sidecar of, of capital to, um, to either make your first kind of support hire or to do some customer acquisition or something like that. Um, and so, so from a pure sort of cash perspective, that, that would be our pitch would be, Hey, um, you know, like if you can see a pathway to, um, to that, you know, to, to where you're going to be once you hit kind of 25 K MRR and you, you understand the steps to get there. But the big problem right now is your, your time and bandwidth is so constrained because you have to do, you know, spin another seven plates each. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what we would offer is some early stage risk capital to, to allow you guys to, to be full-time focused on it. Then beyond that, I mean, wh- what we offer is the kind of traditional, like, like project of building a seed fund, right? So we've got a bunch of, of um, folks who are backing the fund who are themselves experienced founders who then have a stake in, in your success. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're there to be sort of mentors and, and to offer guidance in a way that I think when there's skin in the game, it is still a different level of, of sort of mentorship. You, you do really get to the top of the, of the to-do list. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then lastly, we're trying to put together a bunch of shared resources for bootstrappers. So, um, it, kind of acting a little bit like a kind of union for, for, for founders in the sense of going out and saying, Hey, you know, um, uh, bookkeeping services, um, you know, we're going to be bringing you, you know, 30 startups over the next, um, couple of years. So, um, you should give us priority and, uh, and a discount and all that kind of stuff. And, and to help, help with all those kind of recurring things that, that every early stage startup deals with. Yeah. And so what does that look like practically? Now I'm going to give a disclaimer. I am a finance idiot. I don't understand uh, typical like VC funded rounds. I don't understand sure. the stock market. I don't understand a lot of these things. Uh, you said six to nine months runway. And 
I'm wondering, basically, like, is Ernest, would Ernest be for someone like John and I, two old guys, old guys in tech, uh, that, you know, I think at a bare minimum, six to nine months, six to nine months, let's say nine months, I mean, that might be... I think about plus or minus a year, actually, closer to to a year. Okay, and so you're saying closer to a year, does that look like... Like what? What kind of seed rounds are we talking about? Are we talking about a hundred k, two hundred k, twenty k? What? What? What's the actual? How much money are we are we talking about here? Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll start by taking a little bit of a step back, which is that I didn't uh, really intend to to launch uh, Ernest itself uh, this week. Um, <laughs> what, what what actually happened this week is that I released a a, a pretty technical blog post um, looking like quite narrowly at the question of trying to find an investment structure that works for. Uh, bootstrappers, right? And going back to this term of like folks who who want to build the next like Basecamp or Buffer or Wildbit or Wistia, like, you know, you want to build a sort of sustainable, profitable, you know, long-term business, not raise a bunch of rounds of funding and then exit. Like if you want to do that, um, there's this kind of problem, which is that all of the investment structures that are kind of out there off the table for people to use to say, hey, you're an early stage startup. I'm an investor, let's use a convertible note or a safe, which is what Y Combinator uses, or let's just take a preferred equity stake in your business. All of those are really predicated around this other set of outcomes, right? It's mostly based on the idea that you will eventually raise more follow-on funding, and then you'll eventually sell the business and you know we'll own a small stake of that business and we'll get our big payday when you you know sell for $500 million. And, um, and and if you decide, which you're seeing now, for example, the kind of high profile discussions around Buffer and Wistia, who have both kind of had VCs in there and then kind of said, like, eh, this is not really a fit. And, and they've had to have these like pretty hard negotiations to to sort of unwind those relationships. Um, we're sort of saying, OK, let's work backwards from what this kind of community wants to build with this. It doesn't necessarily mean small, but it means kind of different values, right? Valuing sustainability over growth at all costs, those kinds of things. How can we design a a sort of investment structure so that, you know, that if you build, you know, the next base camp or wild bid or something, that that's a success for both of us, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas a traditional VC fund is kind of like, oh, well, great job building this business, but this is a huge failure for us, you know? Yeah. Um, And and so that's kind of the scope of discussion that that I sort of have uh, hammered out. Um, I'll answer your question, which is that, you know, we're looking to invest somewhere between 50 and $300,000, 50,000 and $300,000. So, so there's a pretty wide, yeah. Okay. So there's a pretty wide range there. So, so for like you guys, where you're at, if you're two founders, you know, some, somewhere in the range of like $150,000, maybe $200,000 would be, you know, something like, um, you know, a year of full-time runway you know, if you were both going to focus on it full time from from the point of investment, um, you know, and then plus some capital to, you know, maybe maybe you start to, uh, you know, acquire a ton of customers and you want actually to add like a part time support person. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how we would think about sizing the investment amounts. OK, so. Again, I've never taken investment, so I don't know the, these things. Uh, yeah. 
does that is that how is that dispersed? Like, let's say we figure stuff out. I sign your sign your term sheet. Is that a lump sum that the founders get in their bank account? And then, what kind of oversight is there on that amount uh, on that money? Like, how does it work when practically in terms of you know all the logistics that. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the stage of the business. I mean, um, frankly, there is a version of it, which is that, it, yeah, it's a, it's a lump sum and there's basically no oversight. Um, but, you know, I mean, to some extent, there's like um, a, a huge part of, of this is just selection, right? So it's the process of, of me getting to know the founders, understanding the business and, and sort of trusting the founders. So, you know, I really view this entire project as... A service business. Um, I'm here to, to to find really talented founders that I think probably will figure it out some way somehow, you know, otherwise, and and give them resources. One of those resources is capital. It's access to other people who can help. But fundamentally, like, it's not the case where I think like, you know, I know how to build your business. I'm going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to take control over your company. I'm going to hold the purse strings. Like, it's it's the complete opposite of that. Um, I, I can imagine, depending on the stage of the company, if it's if it's qu- quite early, um, you might phase in the capital to to make sure that you know if, for example, you're really early and you're not totally sure that you want to, for example, go full time. There mm-hmm. might be a, ch- a chunk of it that is available to get you to a certain phase, and then it's like, okay, you guys need to you know go all in on this to access the next kind of tranche of capital. Um, yeah. Now. Uh- that just brought up a bunch of questions in my head. Uh, well, first of all, okay, so let's say, hypothetically, it's a $200,000 investment. Um, okay. what, what kind of return is Ernest looking for? Like, how do you, and I'm assuming, like, when I say Ernest, it's you and it's a, you have a partner as well? Is that right? Yeah, so I mean, Ernest is structured as a as a fund. Yeah. Um, I'm the only general partner, right? So the actual person who who manages the fund, um, and then uh, we have what's called limited partners, which are people who invest in the fund um, and uh, very heavily involved and and you know super helpful. Kind of at strategic advisor level is uh, what I would call my partner in this project, Kevin McArdle, who runs SureSwift Capital which is the business that acquired StoreMapper from me. And they've acquired, I think, close to 30 other companies in the space. They're kind of super active um, at, at the sort of end of, you know, actually you know, kind of buying these successful businesses. Yeah. yeah. And, and where, again, I don't know anything. Where, where does the money come from? Like, is it you and SureSwift that are putting money in? Or you also are, you're going to have other investors come in as well? to form the pool? Is that, is that how it works? Yeah. The money comes from, uh, myself and, and SureSwift, um, and also a number of other investors. So, um, I have to kind of be careful, like, cause we haven't, um, announced the close of the fund. Um, so, uh, there will be more information about where else the money comes from, but <laughs> okay. we have to, um, yeah, we have to kind of toe the line on regulations around that. So, um, but let's say 200 grand is an investment. I have a startup. You guys decide we're going to put 200 grand in. What 
what do you folks get out of it? I, from what I understood, there's like a 4X, you want to get paid back 4X, is that correct? So, so where we've kind of settled is essentially like the main way that we want to get paid back is um, we want a share of what we call kind of founder earnings. So this is basically the way that you as the founder benefit economically from, from the startup. And, and we're sort of using this model of like when you look at some of the bootstrap startups here, um, they, they tend to pay themselves like once they're quite successful and they're high margin and very profitable, you know, you pay yourself a nice healthy salary and then you also cut dividends for yourselves and, and for the employees. Um, and, and we basically would want a share of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, we get a share of that once you're, you know, profitable. Uh, and we get that up to a sort of capped amount. And so, you know, a traditional equity piece, for example, might say I get uh, 10% of your company, which means I get 10% of dividends forever, right? I mean, equity theoretically goes on forever, whether you build a billion dollar company or whatever. What we do is we take a little bit more than let's say, you know, 10%, um, but it doesn't go on forever. Uh, Mm -hmm. We take it up until we get a certain multiple of our investment. So um, I'm going to say for now, it's going to depend very much on the deal, what stage you're in, how risky we think it is, but it's going to be somewhere in the range of three to five X. And then the rest of the investment structure is just trying to say, okay, well, maybe you're going to grow the business and you're going to want to raise follow-on financing. We actually don't think like VC is bad or that, you know, it's just like, it's not a fit for everyone, but sometimes you start a business very early stage and it turns out, Hey, we we've got a bit of a rocket ship here. We want to raise more money. We want to sell the business, whatever. Basically we just want to participate in that process on fair terms. Um, But the main thing is getting paid back a multiple of what we invested. Okay. Now, I'm trying to do the math in my head because mm. so I'm just thinking like, so 200,000, you know, three X, that would be 600,000, right? And mm-hmm. then five would be a million. Mm-hmm. And so basically you're saying you would keep, um, you would take a portion of founder earnings and that could be dividends that could be if I decide to pay myself a five hundred thousand dollars salary, you're able to take some of that. Yeah. Up to this this return multiple. Mm-hmm. Um and and what like are you is this does this happen over like in your mind as the investor, is this supposed to happen over a couple years, over five years, over ten years? What's the what's the kind of exit window in your guys' mind? Well, I mean, we, we have to give um, our investors guidance on how long that takes uh, on average across the portfolio. But in any particular company, I mean, we are not, we're, you know, there is no repayment schedule, right? We're, we're completely aligned with the founder's decisions on when and if they're able to sort of take profits out of your business, right? So as a founder, you do have to make those decisions about how, you know, kind of you know, do you, are you reinvesting for growth or, or are you taking profits? And, uh, you know, basically it, if we invest on those, on those terms and yeah, okay, you know, you need to pay back three or four X or something. Um, but actually for a long time, like you still just have this amazing growth trajectory and you want to pay yourself a skimpy salary and, 
um, you know, just reinvest 100% of the profits because that's where you think the best opportunity is for the business. Um, we're okay with that, and there's nothing we can do to to stop you from that. And and you know, we're we'll be here to guide you to make sure that you know we think that you're making that right call, but ultimately it's the founder's call. Mm -hmm. um, so there is no repayment schedule or or defined timeline uh, for when that money has to be paid back. Yeah, and. Again, like I, I think part of the one of the things in the Hacker News thread that came up is a lot of folks were like, "Well, why wouldn't you just get a, a bank loan?" And mm. um, I mean, you could probably speak to that too. I know that for uh, yeah, know, good luck, good luck for traditional like yeah. like maybe a brick and mortar business where you've got three hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment. Uh, banks seem to like that, but um, it's a lot harder to get it for. A software business. To be perfectly honest, bank loans are very commercial. Bank loans are very difficult to get. I think it's. I mean, frankly, I think it's impossible. I've never heard of someone taking out a, a bank loan for an early stage software startup. Um, you know, maybe once you already have you know thirty, forty, fifty k MRR, you could go and get you know kind of working capital. But it's it's easier to get a million dollar loan to start an Arby's franchise than it is to get a hundred K to start a, you know, a software startup. Like mm -hmm. it's, it, it, yeah. I mean, and, and that's before you even get into the downsides of debt, right. In the sense that you probably have to personally guarantee it. And if the business fails, like they could come after you or your house or all your assets. I mean, yeah. I, if you want a bank loan and, and you can get one to start your internet startup, like, like go for it. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, um, and so yeah. there, is there no personal guarantee with you no. folks? Okay. So that would be, because that was my other question as I'm thinking, because the other place that SaaS folks have gone, startup folks, bootstrap folks have gone is credit cards. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of like the dirty secret of startup funding. And, you know, a credit card, depending on how you do it, is pr probably 5 to 20% interest per annum, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, again, I'm running the numbers quickly. I, I'm bad with math. I'm bad with all this stuff. But 20% a year on $200,000 is $40,000 a year in interest. That doesn't include paying it back. Um, yeah. The other disadvantage there, I mean, that way you do have all the control. You, you have all the upside if, if sure. it goes well. And certainly, I mean, if we really knew the behind the scenes story of how some of these bootstrapped companies got off the ground and stayed off the ground, maybe there would be, you know, a lot of credit card in there. But then you also have to own and the don't downside. don't forget about also, yeah, don't forget about the survivorship bias, right? We, we hear about people like like me and other folks who who took out enormous amounts of credit card debt and then sort of somehow pulled out of it and and sort of built a successful business and paid it off and and you know uh, wrote blogs about it that people read right mm -hmm. but uh, I I imagine you don't meet them at, at you know at, at microconf uh, but I imagine there are a large number of people who tried this and uh, and ended up just massively in debt and and their business failed and it was a huge disaster for them mm -hmm. um, but you know to, to give you one context I mean I so I looked at how much I had 
taken out for credit cards when I was kind of getting this business off the ground and then how much I ultimately paid back. And it, it's a lot. It's over 2x, right? Even if you pay it back fast mm-hmm. and it gets worse and worse and worse, the longer it took me about two years to pay it all back. And I still paid 2.2 times what I had taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it takes you three, four, five years, compound interest is is horrible, right? Mm-hmm. When you're talking about 20% interest on credit cards, yeah. you end up paying three, four, five x back to them, you know? I'm just trying to think of how long it would take to pay this off and what would that, what would that feel like? Would it feel like a burden? Would it feel like um, kind of like, oh, well, thank goodness we got there. You, you know, now we can make a living. But then it's like, oh, but now we've got to pay off this this money. And it it's not just $100,000. It's not like we borrowed mm. from friends and family 100000 It's like, no, we actually borrowed three or 400000 that we have to pay back in a sense. Um, well, am I getting that right? What am I missing there in the, the... It's it's a good question, but the way to think about it, though, is that we're structured as, as just taking a percentage of whatever decision that you make for yourselves, right? So ultimately, imagine you're getting, okay, you're at, you know, 25K MRR, and, you know, you're basically paying yourselves and maybe one person, um, okay, we're not, we're just here helping you, that's it, you know, <laughs> and then maybe you get to 50 and you're sort of saying, okay, like we've got a team of four people, uh, but actually we've got a pretty healthy margin. And, you know, we, you two have been, have been at it for a little while. We want to actually start, you know, recouping some of our invested time and opportunity costs and stuff like that. So we want to start paying ourselves a bit more and either bumping it and, you know, depending on tax and whatever, you decide either to, to pay yourselves a nice big healthy salary or to start cutting yourselves dividends. Basically, whatever you decide to do of that, we get a percentage of it, but you still get most of that, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, fundamentally, it shouldn't, it shouldn't change your decision, or at least if we've done our jobs right, if we've you know, structured the investment correctly and we you know, haven't screwed it up, it shouldn't change your decisions. You should do exactly what you guys as the founders would want to do um, for the long haul. And we're basically like a sort of silent co-founder taking you know, another chunk of that in exchange for you know, having bridged that gap early on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to get to some of these <laughs> questions here. Uh, I'm sure I will, as I continue to churn, I might have more. This but is he- really good though. I, I really enjoy this because I, you know, one of the things I know that we need to do, right, is, is to, to do, I mean, not educate, but just answer lots and lots of questions, right? Because, yeah. you know, I feel like everybody only knows about the way this stuff works in the venture world, right? Mm-hmm. There, there hasn't been this process of really deeply educating people and giving them a sort of intuitive understanding of the math and stuff like that. So for example, like when we say, hey, we want a 3X or 4X or 5X return, because, oh, that's a lot more than a bank loan, mm-hmm. right? But you know, if you take seed investment, they are trying to get a 50X return, right? You see what I'm saying? And those things, those are comparable, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. They are saying like, hey, you know, when you ultimately sell for hundreds of millions of dollars, we're going to get 50 times what we put into your business, right? And so then it's like, oh, well, actually, that doesn't seem so crazy, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm happy to sort of just just talk this through mm-hmm. uh, in gory detail. Yeah. I, we're, let's get to some questions, and I'm going to keep turning in the background here. Uh, Michael Buckby asks... Uh, how much guidance, advice, strategic introductions do you anticipate providing to companies you invest in? Similarly, are you looking for a certain number of companies in the portfolio? Um, 
So, I mean, I think I'll kind of go back to what I said before, which is I, I really view this as a, as a service business, not, you know, a sort of extension of my, um, you know, personal brand. It's not as though it goes from I write blog posts and then I have a course where I tell you how to build startups and then, you know, like, and then it just, this is the nth iteration of that. Now I invest in you and I tell you how to build your business. Um, I am mostly here to to find talented founders and and back them. Um, I'm gonna be as helpful as I can, um, you know, and as I mentioned, um, we're, we're going to have, a, you know, a, a quite a big portfolio of some really talented entrepreneurs as well, who will be, um, you know, fundamentally invested in your success. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully, the, and a lot of them are a lot smarter, a lot more successful than me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they'll be on hand to, to be, you know, as helpful as we can. Um, and definitely like strategic in- introductions and stuff. I, I'm really excited to sort of be a bit of a, of a nexus um, for, for these businesses. So, um, you know, just trying to, to help them with hiring and with introductions and stuff like that. Um, one other thing we're really thinking about doing is um, investing along a couple of uh, themes um, where the companies would have basically synergies with each other. So they mm-hmm. might share a similar value proposition or share customers and um, we'll invest in a couple of companies that can then kind of almost collaborate. So just to give you an example, like I'm really interested in um, kind of tools that are dedicated for remote teams. Um, so that are fully built around enhancing remote team culture, around remote team productivity. Around, I mean, this is we're remote first. I, I live in Brazil. I've only ever built remote companies. Um, so, like, I'm super interested in that that vertical. And I'd love to make several investments with multiple companies that can all uh, kind of benefit from each other along that theme. Um, mm-hmm. And similarly, we're going to be building some tools for the companies in the portfolio to collaborate together as well. Okay, so now that's great. So hopefully that helps you out, Michael. Um, yeah. Do you want to comment quickly? We don't know much about Rob Walling's Tiny Seed Fund. Um, we know a little bit about NDPC. You've already mentioned that. Um, do do you, any other similarities or differences between NDVC, Tiny Seed, any of those? Yeah, I mean, um, well, I mean, first of all, one of the things that's exciting to me is that, um, you know, for example, obviously there's been a lot of exposure from from this post, and I've you know had the the opportunity to sort of mention uh, what I've been working on to to a lot of people recently, and only a tiny percentage of them who are sort of very plugged into the right communities even mention that there are other alternatives. So I always say like all of us who are working on these things, we're to the extent that we're competing, we're competing against we're competing against you know investors thinking that these are not investable companies that if you're not trying to be a billion dollar company i can't earn a return um, by investing in you at the early stage that's one frontier we're competing against and mm-hmm. we're competing against you know basically bootstrappers thinking like vc is not for me i can't get a bank loan so my only option is is to bootstrap those are really the frontiers of competition mm-hmm. um to the extent that um you know what i'm trying to do is is different I think, and it's hard for me to say this because, you know, these are all private entities and I, so I don't know, I don't want to mischaracterize what they're trying to do. Um, but NDVC, I believe is, is targeting much later stage businesses. Um, ones that are already, you know, 
quite established and profitable. Yeah. Um, if you look through the portfolio of investments that they have made from, again, private transactions, so who knows? But from what I understand, these are, you know, already quite big operations, not investing at the same stage that we are. Um, and then I think we've made um, some significant changes to the terms under which we invest um, that are uh, pretty boring to get into. But if you really dive into the, the middle of my long blog post, um, I think that we've we've kind of aligned our investment a little bit more with what founders at this stage are really looking for. Um, in terms of tiny seed, I think um, we are investing closer to the same range. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I spoke to Rob, I saw him announce it at um, uh, MicroConf in Croatia. Um, <laughs> As far as I understand it, I'm sort of using a mental model of it as like Y Combinator for for bootstrappers, um, which would be earlier than we would probably invest. We're definitely not looking for people who are idea stage. We're looking for folks who have launched a product, hopefully have traction and revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I, as I understand it, I, I think they are investing along the same way that, that also the Y Combinator invests, right? So a very standard, you know, we take a percentage of equity in your business mm-hmm. um, as opposed to what we've done with, which, with this blog post. And I think there's, there's pros and cons to both. Um, for sure, that way is, is a lot simpler. It's very straightforward. We're taking this percentage of your company. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think that you ultimately start to get locked into wanting, to, wanting the company to exit, to sell, because you own a percentage of the business and you get paid out when they eventually sell the business. And so one of the things I really wanted to do was to not create incentives for the entrepreneur to sell their business. Mm -hmm. So I'm perfectly happy if you come to me and say, I never want to sell this business ever. I want to run this for the next 30 years. I'm like, great, here's how, here's my structure. Here's how we invest. That sounds amazing. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I've got another question here from, uh, inside of my Slack channel. The Mega Maker Club. This is from Dave Churchville. Let me bump this up here. Uh, I think Tyler's fund proposes profit sharing, but that seems tricky to manage without being the in the entrepreneur's books. Hey, did you deduct mm. that vacation? It's cutting into my profits, etc. How can uh, a fund sustain itself on best effort profit sharing, or would there be specific terms or a specific way of choosing candidates that would maximize the visibility of that approach? Does that kind of make sense? Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, what, yeah, I mean, you, you've got to calculate something. And so how do you do the calculations and who does the work of calculating? Um, to the second part of, of who does the work of it, like some people will say, hey, this is going to be a lot of work for me. You know, um, one of the things I, that I mentioned before is we want to build shared resources for all the, the entrepreneurs. So and, and that extends to bookkeeping. So like our plan is to basically roll out bookkeeping services that, okay, you don't have to use them. If you, you know, your, your spouse happens to be a bookkeeper and they want to do the books, like fine. Um, But we'd like to make it really kind of a no brainer to where, Hey, like you use these bookkeeping services. And as a result, these bookkeepers are really familiar with how we want to calculate this. And they just make that really painful. Um, To answer the question of like, you know, getting into details of accounting and, and, you know, what is the profit and stuff like that? um, You know, there's, there's, a, there's a layer of trust, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. we, we are going, we're not going to nitpick 
Um, you know, ultimately, we're not trying to nickel and dime people who are are deducting things that you know are questionable. There's layers of things, you know, before, like we are leaning on the you know federal governments and the tax collectors to sort of appropriately determine what is and is not a valid expense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and we're happy to sort of just sit behind those layers of decisions. So mm-hmm. um, it, ultimately, there will be a, a fairly you know, technical definition in our investment documents, but it's not going to be anything too complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say your model so far is, and again, I'm going to probably think about this. I have to, I have to think about all this stuff, but it, it's the one that is the most attractive to me out of the gate because there's no equity position, right? Mm-hmm. It seems quite simple. Like we're giving you a percentage of our earnings um, for, you know, however, up until we get to a certain multiple, that simplicity is, uh, really helpful. And I think also just your humility about all of this, that you you don't have anything against VCs, that you're just figuring it out, that this is all brand new is also refreshing to me because, uh, one of the things that turns me off about VC, and to be honest, a lot of high-profile angel investors is the bravado. I just mm. don't like, I don't like being in meetings with those people. I don't like, uh, I don't like them telling me that they're super awesome and that everything they touch is gold. Like there's something about that, that it just feels yucky. So mm. the, the tone that you folks have, have struck with Ernest is really refreshing. And um, folks are saying this in the chat too. We've got Aaron here saying, just wanted to say I'm super excited about this model. I've already quit my job and I'm developing a couple products that I know could be helped greatly by this kind of financing model. So there's people that are out there that are bootstrapping, that are doing this either with their own uh, savings or their own credit cards. Uh, I One thing I would definitely think we need to write about more is the downside of funding yourself using your own savings, using credit cards, using these other things that people have used. There's probably tons of horror stories that haven't been told there that, you know, yeah, might be uh, might be good to get out. Yeah, for sure. Um, likewise, I want to say, you know, thanks to you for, for, you know, really putting yourself out there and, and writing about this stuff. I think it's it's immensely helpful for for folks who are who are bootstrapping or just who are thinking through these issues to to sort of I don't know break the seal on this conversation right mm-hmm. and just to say like you know let's talk about this stuff and let's and also let's let's strip away a lot of the like um, zealotry around like bootstrapping or VC or it's all this or all that like the reality is, you know, capital is one part of the equation. Um, and, and we're just trying to figure out like what works the best for, for various entrepreneurs and not, not put any of them really on, on a pedestal. Um, and so I, I appreciate you sort of, um, really opening that conversation. I think it's immensely helpful for the community. Cool. Well, hopefully I don't burn out (laughs) in the meantime. Keep at it, Justin. All right, and we're done. <laughs> and we're done. Um, and any uh, app app updates this week, John? Before we go, um, let's see. Not not any huge updates. Um, I think I finally fixed some of our YouTube problems that we were having. 
Nice. Uh, YouTube uploads. Uh, I know there were a few folks that had some problems with the integration page and like unauthorized YouTube errors that would show up. And sometimes we got a bit backlogged with mass YouTube uploads. So I think I, I think I squared that away. So it should be a little bit more, uh, more uh, functioning. Cool. Um, other than that, still it's kind of working ahead with um, displaying your Spotify analytics. Um, they're all being pulled in now per day, but we're not displaying them yet. And then uh, continued work on this um, free SSL for everyone, which kind of hit a little roadblock with something I was trying to do, but we'll uh, get that back up and running. Yeah, that's just programming, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, you know, you've... Uh, yeah, basically, I was going to use this this new web server, and it uh, turns out it's not all that performant. Okay. <laughs> so I, I was a little concerned about how that might that might work, but we'll see. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, we, that's the whole point, is you just keep trucking away. Exactly. Uh, I had an interesting uh, dilemma posed by one of our listeners, mm-hmm. and it's just something for us all to think about, which was, uh, he said, you know, you always ask people to, you know, interact with the show on Twitter or by emailing you or, you know. And he said, is there no better way for folks to comment or discuss an episode than Twitter? And I honestly couldn't think of a better one because I'm sure most of the people listening to this right now are on their phones on the go, right? They're in the car, right. they're doing the dishes, they're on a walk and it feels like the most accessible thing is if you're going to comment or reply to an episode you would just you know open up your phone get on twitter that's it's easy enough to do that but anything else like logging into you know discus for comments or um i don't know but i i thought yeah. it would be an interesting dilemma to to pose to the listeners <laughs> i guess the only way they're going to be able to get back to us is on yeah, twitter I- I don't know if there's a better system that's already existing for that uh, or if there's some sort of, you know, text reply or voicemail system we can integrate with or I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I've used text to reply before and I think the, the, the thing with that that's difficult is it's still a learned, like a system you have to train people on. They have to, right. they have to put the number in their phone. They have to, and you almost have to like get in the habit of doing that. Whereas Twitter already has some of that friction friction removed, they can just you know people already know how to tweet, yeah. and so yeah, I guess the question is, do they want it to be on a public forum or do they want to just post feedback directly to us? That's yeah, yeah, that is true. I I think what I would like to see is eventually for there to be a. This is never going to happen, but. I would love if there was an, something in the RSS spec that dealt with uh, feedback, you know, comments, voicemails, right. messages, and for there to be an easy way to collect that. But, you know, I'm going to get a lot of folks saying, well, you can comment in Breaker, which is true. You can comment in CastBox. You can. Yeah, it's all sort of just, yeah, they're all separate. Yeah. Anyway, that's, I'm just putting that out into the world. Uh, in the meantime, reach out to us on Twitter. Yeah. We're at TransistorFM. Uh, we'd be especially interested in knowing what you think of Earnest Capital and what they're proposing. And if you think it's a good deal for bootstrappers or a bad deal, um, yeah, let us know and we will be back 
with our thoughts next Tuesday. Sounds good. And everyone else in the United States, if you're listening to this Tuesday morning, please go vote. Oh, yes. And Uh, I'm going to go continue to stress out about it. (laughs) (laughs) Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.